Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, CEO of Digital Dawn, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Here on the Ecom Profit Podcast, I open Pandora's box and share with you and other ecom business owners weekly topics that will help you explode your business online. I outline my tried and true secret sauce, the D2D method, that's guaranteed to bring your business results. As an entrepreneur myself, I try to pull out all the same entrepreneurial passions in others. So get ready to be fired up about your business and let's have a great time. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I am your host, Dawn Sinkula, and today we have an amazing guest, Julie Stoyan, who is a digital marketing, gosh, genius, shall I say, expert, coach, uh, business owner, all the things. She and I have been friends for Gosh, Julie, how long has it been now? Four, year, four, four. years? Maybe more than that? Years. Something like that. I have been part of Julie's Digital Insiders Mastermind Group, uh, Create Your Laptop Life back in the day, Funnel Gorgeous, all sorts of things. Julie has really inspired and equipped probably thousands of people on the internet at this point now and upcoming business owners with her skills and her strategies and all of the things that you need to create and grow a profitable and growing business online. And I am so excited to have Julie here today to talk about all things marketing and how we as business owners can really grow and excel online. So welcome to the show, Julie. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Well, let's kind of dig into to some things. So Julie and I were talking offline here a little bit about some some nuggets that she dropped in the Digital Insiders group this morning about how to really set yourself apart from the crowd. And I think that's a great jumping off point as we get started talking about marketing and and how to really stand out from the crowd. Julie, do you want to share a little bit about that nugget that you dropped that I think so many people's brains just exploded when we had this conversation when you dropped it? We were like, what? So tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So I think when it comes to marketing, I think a lot of us business owners, we make assumptions and we don't realize the assumptions we're making. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're selling. Let's say you're you're selling fashion glasses. Okay. Yeah. This is what you're selling. So the first thing you have to do is you have to come up with an argument, like you would be like a lawyer, an argument for why you have to have fashion glasses in your closet. That is not a given. And I think a lot of people skip that part, right? Because they're yeah. in it. They're they're just like all in their zone of genius. And they just like, everybody has fashion glasses. No, no, that's not true. So right. you have to craft an argument, whatever that argument is about. And let's just say, I'm going to just off the top of my head. Um, fashion glasses are a great way to like activate your alter ego. So like you're feeling down and you have to like go teach a class or you have to like get on Zoom or whatever you have to do. These glasses act as like a reminder that it's time for you to switch into that mode. So everybody needs a pair of fashion glasses. So your argument is the first part. (laughs) Once people are like, oh yeah, I totally need fashion glasses. Yeah. Now 
they're going to look at the sea of fashion glasses all over. And now your job is to be like, well, what makes your glasses different? So when they're looking at a bunch of Amazon listings or they're on wherever you buy fashion glasses, I don't know, on on a store shelf, (laughs) they are they're like, hmm, well, I know I need them, but which ones do I want? And that's where your USP comes in. And But people forget that first part, like crafting that argument, whether it's on a sales page or whether it's in free content or, or your reels or your TikToks, like you have to bring people to that point where they're like, there's no option. I need glasses, but now I need to pick the ones that are right for me. And that's where you get to shine and be something unique and different that nobody else is doing. And that's how you, that's how you capture market share. Okay. Well, the podcast is now over and we're done (laughs) with just that. (laughs) But really, honestly, I think that the, the part that so many of us forget and what we learn from, you know, all the courses and the marketers and the people that we listen, listen to is like, get your unique proposition going, get that going, start there. That's the place that you've got to set yourself apart. And I think you're so right in saying that we've got to back it up just a little bit and make the argument first of why do I even need the thing that you're selling? And we've got so many people that listen that are, you know, selling physical products. And I think sometimes the pushback is on a physical product, well, do you really need any of these physical products? Because a lot of times they are wants versus needs. So what might you say to that a little bit differently of like, I sell coffee or fashion glasses or whatever it is that really I don't have to have any of these things. It's a want for me. How do I make that argument in in that space? Yeah. Well, so there's two types of customers, right? There are the customers, let's say you're using coffee, right? There are the customers who are already drinking coffee. You're not going to have to make an argument for why. They've already like jumped that. Yeah. And so you're just having to say why you're different. Yeah. Okay. If you're trying to convert a tea drinker to coffee. Yeah. That's a harder proposition. But a lot of your like content and branding, you have to think about, I mean, because people buy things they want all the time. Like mm-hmm. there's very little things that are needed. But so you have to think about the aspiration behind it, right? Like why mm-hmm. would why would I want to drink coffee instead of tea? Like what what would make me switch? And there's got to be something aspirational, whether it's like, you know, whatever, the fancy mugs that are going to, I'm going to get the fancy drinks at Starbucks or whether it's going to give me more caffeine and I'm going to be even more whatever excited. You got to come up with a reason. I mean, the whole thing about the fashion glasses, nobody needs a fat, nobody needs fashion glasses, but I, (laughs) but I came up with this like alter ego thing that was like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like I would love that. Right. So you're giving people an aha moment, a way to look at your product that they maybe haven't looked at before. Um, Right. And, and, and that's, that's how you do it. That's how you make people buy something they don't really need, but they want. Right. <laughs> but they want. You set the stage and you kind of create this, like you said, an alter ego, a reason why, a, a something aspirational. And really then it's the differentiator of, you know, your unique selling proposition. So let's talk about the unique selling proposition because here's the thing. Let's say fashion glass. We'll just stick with this throughout the fashion glasses sort of theme. Okay. I have fashion glasses on right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And I could go to the internet and 
see thousands of them, right? And you talk a lot about, and you do a great job in helping us business owners come up with our own unique selling proposition. But for those people that are listening who are selling fashion gloves or any other product, how do you really, how do you do that in a way that that sets yourself apart? Like how, how do you say, ooh, I'm that much better at fashion glasses than my next person that you can find over there? Yeah, so it's it's definitely, you know, my expertise is in information products, yeah. not physical products. So I'm trying to think like what I would say for fashion glasses. I think so number one, talk to the customers yeah. who you have to see what they like about your glasses because yep. they're gonna be like, you know what? So I'm gonna just I have fashion glasses too. <laughs> um and these are actually not my first choice of fashion glasses. The ones I have have a black rim and I like it because I feel like it defines my face better. Yeah. Right. So like maybe it's like the fashion glass that whatever defines your face or maybe you're focusing on the fact that you have anti-glare so that they don't see the, you yeah. know, fashion glasses for when you're on the screen. Yeah. Um, you could do a unique selling proposition of like you sell your glasses in a bundle for your brand and like you have every color so it matches your outfit. So seven days of the week, you're ready. Yeah. So it's like, it's, yes, you you can compete on price. You could be like, we're the cheapest, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's all, that's kind of a lazy way to be unique. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> And it doesn't create great profitability. No, no. <laughs> so like, why not think about like, whether it's, you know, yeah. face definition, glare, you know, outfits, whatever it happens to be, um, right. you t talk to your customers, see what they're saying, and then craft an offer that sort of like solves for that like little unique thing. And the thing about unique selling proposition is it doesn't have to be a big difference. It can be a right. small little, like the thing I don't like about these is that these are like thicker here. And I, so when I'm, I, it's the reason I don't have them on now is because like my ears have too many things on them. Right. So it's like, yeah, you barely feel it on your face. That could be right. Your unique, right. Super light. I don't know. So you have to come up with something to be yeah. known for to stand out. Well, and I think you bring up a really good point because a lot of times, and and our listeners and in my Facebook group, they've they've said this, so I know that this is true. That they are trying very hard to come up with this really massive, unique selling proposition that's so differentiated, and they get stuck or it, it kind of in the spiral of well, mine's really not that different, or I don't know what that is, and therefore they don't do anything. When we, you've just said, I mean, if it's even just a matter of like, these are lighter, they're higher quality, they're black, they're, you know, made in the USA, they're whatever that little piece is that your customers are telling you through review processes, they're telling you that they like this about your particular product, that should be your unique selling proposition. Is that yeah, kind of accurate? Exa it doesn't it, have to be exactly. Huge. No, it doesn't. The thing is, spend more time on your big, you, you want your big argument for why fashion glasses, right? And like yeah. that you can spend time on. Like you could do, you could do an entire campaign about the power of like accessories that help you dial into your, you know, your yeah. hustle and grind alter ego or whatever it happens to be. An entire campaign and messaging around that. That can be big. That can be bold. That can be disruptive. That can be, you know, I, this is how the, those campaigns start. But then the, but then the USP is like, okay, I'm, I bought into the idea of fashion glasses, but I'm going to get the ones with the, the eyebrow defining black rim 
versus the ones that are not <laughs> right. or whatever. Right, I don't know. right. It's like a funny example because I'm like the least fashionable person ever. But I I'm know. Just- <laughs> I was like, oh, where'd you go? come up with that one? But good because I haven't. But I think I, I think that we sometimes as e-com business owners, and, and I do this in my own e-com business, sometimes I make this more complicated than it needs to be and, and really trying to differentiate myself in a way that seems so outrageous that the reality is a lot of times it's just about saying, hey, this is made in the USA or hey, these are lighter than the other ones. And it's really not that challenging. It's it's that beforehand step that you said of the argument of why that's really where you should be spending your time and focusing your attention. And that's that's what's going to build your brand. That's, that's gonna, the brand builder. That's yep. the thing that's going to like, like, remember that Facebook ad where they did that series of blah, blah, blah. Like that's that top of mind marketing where- yeah where you start to really make inroads, you'd create demand. Um, and then the USP is there are those little levers that you can pull. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Well, you, you kind of brought up Facebook, um, and Facebook ads. And so let's, let's transition gently into that, yeah. that dicey world. That dumpster now, fire you mean? Yeah. <laughs> So many people right now are, you know, anti-Facebook, anti-whatever. And and I would tell you from an e-com perspective, we're still seeing strong, good results. And, and we're seeing people still have, you know, old school return on investments and things like that. But I think it's so much harder now than it ever has been before. There is a level of expertise that you need to have as a marketer that was never there before, where you could just put money in and get money out sort of thing. And I think creating this sort of omnipresence now across so many different social media channels is, it's always been important to not have your eggs all in one basket, but even more important now. I just love to get your thoughts on the world of Facebook ads, kind of this omnipresence that's needed, sort of what you are seeing, experiencing, hearing, and and just your general. <laughs> I do know some of your thoughts on Facebook, but just yeah. kind of kind of what you know, where is this going, and what what should people be expecting to see over the next couple of years? You know, it's funny because there has been this sort of rumor, belief, yeah. myth, whatever that like. You put some content on Facebook and then you just throw that same content on Instagram. You throw it on TikTok and you throw it on YouTube. You just throw it everywhere. You just like throw it all over the wall and like see what sticks. And I think users are getting smarter. Yeah. Their attention spans are shorter. And it would be like me as an American woman going to China, Japan, India, Germany, wherever, and expecting that all of the cultural norm, like I could just be who I am in this culture and not offend anybody. And I'm not even talking about offense, but I'm just like, when you go on TikTok, yeah, you have to enter the TikTok culture. You have to understand the rules of the game. You have to understand the algorithm. You have to understand what people consume and how they consume it. And you have to create content for that culture. Yeah. And then you have to go to Facebook and create content for that culture. And same with all of these different platforms. So the idea behind content as I see it now is that maybe you have the same big ideas. Like right, right. You, have this, you have this alter ego idea. But on TikTok, you're going to change into seven outfits very, very, very fast and switch out the glasses. And on Facebook that's not going to work as well and you're going to have yeah. to do something different. So you can come up with these ideas, but you, it's just like creators are going to always beat you 
yeah. if you don't think like a creator because creators, that's all they're doing is creating and they're making money on whatever ad revenue or sponsorships, yeah. their content's always going to outperform. So, so e-commerce business owners, they need to start thinking like creators yeah. because otherwise you're you just, you, you'll get eaten alive. Well, and I think a lot of e-com business owners, fortunately, are in the right brain space a lot of times. They've, they've at least the people that we work with primarily, are personal brands. They've created their brand. They developed their product. They, they have their own sort of like, you know, vision of what they want it to, to look like and be. And they've, they've put that into a physical product, but they don't have the same level of understanding when it comes to social or to an omnipresence, they feel like it's a lot of like tactical and even to a certain extent, you know, people are selling prompts for social media and we're sort of rinsing and repeating the same things over and over again. And I know I'm guilty of doing this myself, even to a certain degree of taking my Facebook post and putting it on Instagram and then putting it here and putting it there because it's easy to do. And I really don't want to do this. But you have to be able to, if you're going to sell online, you got to be online, right? Hands down. And you got to know where your people are and you got to know the channel. And do you recommend that, you know, people kind of do a smattering of all over the place? Do you recommend that people follow? I mean, yeah. You know, what, what are you thinking? Well, so I, you know, I put, I put marketing like into a couple buckets, like there's the social bucket yeah, and the social bucket is like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, you know, those type LinkedIn, maybe even, right. Those are all social channels. So I would have one, at least one dialed in social channel. Yep. The next bucket is search. And that would be things like Amazon, Pinterest, uh, YouTube, blogs, like all that kind of stuff. I would dial in one search channel. And the main reason is that social channels are attracting people who want a dopamine hit. They want this to stop the scroll. Yep. And so, but they're not necessarily in a buying frame of mind. You can sometimes convert them to that, but that's more that top of mind effect. In the search bucket, people are in their problem, needing their solution, they're more ready to buy. So you definitely want a search channel dialed in. Those are usually a little bit more work, a little bit more long-term reward. And people skip it because it's like they don't get the fast hit that you get on social, but it's really important. And then the third bucket is relationship. And relationship marketing is things like affiliates and sponsorships Mm. and, you know, stages and, you know, just like all of these relationship building. And so I would dial in one channel um, for relationship and yeah. figure out how you can get an ambassador program going. So once you have one channel in each, the fourth channel is, or the fourth bucket is paid and paid is just going to amplify what you're already doing on social and search. And so I would say you get all, one from each category dialed in, and then I would go into the internal buckets and the internal buckets are how to market to your existing customer base. So you've got things like promotional periods where like you do a big, you know, a big sale or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Then you have like newsletters, email marketing, like what are you doing on a, you know, weekly basis to like stay in touch with your customers? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing for like product spotlights? And how are you in the product itself helping them to become a repeat customer, whether it's a coupon code or something in the product itself, QR yeah. code that le- leads to a funnel, et cetera. Yeah. So I would try to hit each of those things. And then you can say, okay, we have TikTok, we have YouTube, we have whatever. 
Now it's all dialed in. Okay, now let's go back to social. Let's add a second category. Okay, yeah. now let's do Instagram or whatever. And then until eventually you have everything filled out. But I think people just stay heavy on one type, like just social, and then they forget about search and relationship. Um, and I just think that that's just a weaker play. Well, and and it leads to disappointment very quickly because we know Facebook, Instagram, you know, they're not getting the same traction as they used to before. And if you aren't paying to play in a lot of those channels, you're not going to get any traction whatsoever. And I think for the e-com space too, a lot of people in that search category, one of the biggest opportunities that I see is around Google shopping, right? So, so many e-commerce brands are not doing Google shopping, which is that paid search category. So it kind of combines the two and it's the kind of easiest low-hanging fruit in that bucket for e-commerce brands. And we've seen great success with people that are doing that now because you're right, the intent is so much better when somebody's sitting down and searching for fashion glasses and then boom, here you pop up and then you, you know, what we've talked about before. So I love the fact that you, you know, have kind of this external and internal piece We've talked a bit about, you know, on my show and other places about the affiliate programs and having, you know, opportunities to really do micro-influencing and things like that too. So all of the amazing, amazing things. So let me ask you a theor theoretical kind of question of, of opinion. Do you think Facebook ads are dead? And do you think that the future of Facebook is, you know, in jeopardy for not just e-com business owners, but for any business owner that's trying to, you know, make a play with just, you know, Facebook slash Instagram. I, I don't think Facebook ads are dead. I just think that the dollar in $2 out days are more than likely over. And so yeah. I see this all the time, you know, in the inform information space, they launch a course and they put it on a Facebook ad and they say, it doesn't work. I spent a thousand dollars on Facebook ads and I made eight hundred dollars in sales, right? I lost right. two hundred bucks. Yep. We've gotten so accustomed to keeping our viewpoint like very myopic in like that one funnel and how much you're paying the ad person and how much ad budget is going and how much you're earning back. Yeah. Whereas prior to Facebook, nobody at Coca-Cola headquarters was like <laughs> Oh, the billboard is broken. Yeah. Right. Right. Like they weren't yeah. thinking like that. They were thinking like, how do we stay top of mind? How do we stay in front of our customers? Yeah. You know, whether it's the the ad on the shopping cart or the grocery store, the billboard, wherever, you know, the Super Bowl, they would spend money on marketing with all yeah. these different campaigns. And then they would look at their sales for the month, right? And it's like a very macro view. And obviously right. I'm oversimplifying for this sake of example. Right. But if you're an e-commerce brand, you should be building a marketing budget that includes Facebook ads, but you shouldn't just flip it off if it's not working. It's like if it's not producing $2 for every $1 you spend, because there is a good possibility that you are staying enough top of mind that over the whole 
right. business, marketing budget stuff, you are starting to see an uptick in sales, even if that one funnel is like in the negative. Right. And we talk a lot about marketing efficiency ratios and, and MER and how, how to talk about blended ROAS and, you know, all these different things now that people are saying, oh, that's just a bunch of, you know, and, and it really isn't because to your point, even if you're taking a little bit of a loss on your Facebook ads, you're still hopefully staying top of mind. And if you're doing what you just said on the backside and you're actually emailing people and you're staying top of mind or getting them on some sort of email list and you can market to them on the backside, the goal would be eventual profitability, right? And you may not see it as a direct one-to-one instantaneously, but over time looking at your sales in that way. Now, I'm seeing a lot of people start to go old school again with some of their marketing and I've gotten a lot of, we, we've had discussions about this, but, I, you know, getting actual like pieces of mailer content type things, you know, sent to your home and, and kind of like really old school stuff, right? Like that we did before the internet was around. What do you think about that? And, and is that a play that somebody should entertain at this point? Or is that somebody who's got a huge budget that can spend money doing those types of things? I think... At the core, it's about being disruptive. And so, you know, direct mail was not disruptive anymore because the internet showed up and now that was disruptive, but now the internet's crowded. So now doing direct mail is disruptive. (laughs) And I, and, and so I think that there is something to be said with asking yourself, how can I be disruptive? How can I do something different? And so for some people that will be direct mail for other people, it will be, you know, entering the world of, you know, crypto and NFTs and, you know, trying out new things that way. And I think we're just always looking for new ways to do creative campaigns that are going to get attention because that's the currency that you have to worry about. And yeah. so for some people, text marketing is still a fantastic way or or you get a great email deliverability. You can still get in people's inboxes. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you should always have one campaign that's a little disruptive. That's like, I have no idea if this is going to work because that's going to keep you thinking creatively about yeah. how to market. Yeah. I think that's an, a really important point on the creativity and the disruption piece, because again, we do kind of get ourselves into this mindset of like, well, I'm just following the herd. I'm doing what everybody else is doing, or I'm hearing this is the way to go and being disruptive, whether that is in the, you know, sending something to your house sort of mode, or you get yourself a billboard or you do whatever it is in, in being that creative, disruptive sort of mindset and pushing yourself for risk taking and other things too in that, in that area, I think is, is so important. And a lot of times we, we don't always do that. So that's great, great feedback. Do you have any other tips or recommendations like for business owners right now that, that you're seeing kind of behind the scenes with some of your mastermind group members or other people that you're working with, with, you know, funnel gorgeous, some things that are trends or anything standing out that, that are worth noting at this point, or have we kind of discussed those? Well, it's funny. I I think, you know, I look at things that we thought were dead that aren't dead. Like Twitter's making a comeback, you guys. Like, yeah, who I, knew? like who knew, right? Like, just like the great QR code has made a comeback. You know, <laughs> it's so funny. After um, the Super Bowl, man, that QR code came right back to everybody, right? I know, <laughs> I know. So, so I think it's 
I think it's just keeping an open mind. Yeah. Um, you know, because, you know, right now we know TikTok is all the rage and like everybody's yeah. making their millions on TikTok. But like, I think it's like reminding yourself the only thing that's constant is that things will continue to change. And so right. part of it is just learning how to catch the trends, not put all your eggs in that trend, but not being afraid to experiment and just yeah. trying to find that balance. Yeah. That's great advice. And I think as we wrap up, Julie, one of the things that has been so valuable, you know, is having you and others in a mastermind to be able to bounce ideas off of and to be able to, you know, share ideas or or trends or things like that. For people who are thinking about, you know, maybe a, a mastermind or some sort of group coaching program, do you have any insight or benefits to things that you've seen you know, grow people's businesses as they've, as they've joined these programs and, and the value that, that that can bring when you're in a group that yeah. have differing opinions. Yeah. I think one of the biggest advantages to joining a mastermind group is that whoever is leading it, if they, if they are interacting closely with the clients, you're going to get to have an advantage point that you can't get without them. So like, I think one of the biggest benefits of my mastermind is like, I can, I'm talking to, you know, a lot of people one-on-one. And so I have a vantage point where I can be like, okay, that didn't work, but you know what, this person over here tried this and it did work. So try that. And so I think there's very high value when you're looking for a mastermind or group coaching program, look for how in the game the coach is because they're going to have tremendous experience to give you that they earned that they will, that you will get. And that is a very high value. And I think the second thing is like to join, um, to join a group where there's a, a a really like awesome community because you're going to learn amazing stuff from the, from the head coach. Right. But you're also going to get so much value from the other people in the group. Yeah. And, um, you just never know what kind of ideas, partnerships, collaborations are going to come. So those would be the two things I would look for. Well, and I'll just give a big, huge shout out to the Digital Insiders um, group that Julie has had. I think I'm maybe one of the OGs or getting close to one of the OGs of of being around for many, many years. And I think one of, there's many reasons why we all stay, but one of them is the community piece of it. And, you know, it's about having people to lean on when things get tough. It's about being able to ask differing opinions. That's the thing that I really get value out of the group from is like, I always want to hear someone else's argument as to why that didn't work or why it does work or why the, you know, so for me, it's been really valuable from so many different aspects, but the internet can be a lonely place. And I think, um, you know, having a community of some kind to help formulate ideas or even just to bounce those ideas off of is so, so critical. So if you guys um, are ever looking for a high-end mastermind group, Julie's program, I have nothing but amazing things to say about it. So thank you. Yeah. Well, let's see, Julie, as we wrap up, tell people where they can find out more information about you and your programs and some of the things that you have. I, I really want to highlight this True North program um, as we kind of, because I think that's applicable for anyone at any point at any stage in their business. But tell us a little bit about where people can find you and more information. Yeah. So if you go to funnelgorgeous.com, 
there's lots of stuff there. Um, yeah. We have, um, you know, sales page tweaks that you can make on your sales page. We have, you know, for a free challenge, we have templates, uh, we have software for making funnels. So um, funnelgorgeous.com is probably the best place to go. I know you mentioned True North. It's not open at this moment, but you can go to um, True North Mark. Uh, marketersroadmap.com and get on the wait list. Yeah, everybody get on the wait list. And I and and that's one that you're you're definitely gonna want to have. Funnel Gorgeous is so full of amazing, amazing content and different things that anybody can get some value out of that. So thank you so much, Julie, for joining yeah. us today. I really appreciate it. And you've given us some amazing things to implement right away. Thank awesome. you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you've heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see if you're a good fit to work with the Digital Dawn team, head over to digitaldawnagency.com forward slash contact and let's book a call. Thanks so much again and until next time.